Feeling better? Looking better. Making life better. It's Life Tips. Life, life, life. We'll explore the latest innovations, introduce you to the latest products, and bring you the tips from experts and environmental pioneers to help you lead a better life. Life Tips. Life tips. Life tips. Making your life smarter, better, faster, wiser. Here are your hosts. Welcome back to the Life Tips Show. I'm here with uh, Michael. Michael, welcome. It is so good to be here. Let's jump right into this. I'm excited about the conversation. Terrific. You're the author of The Coaching Habits. Say less as more and change the way you lead forever. So tell us a little bit about your background to qualify things. You've worked with probably thousands and thousands of busy managers around the globe. Tell us some insights that you've gathered in your journey, journey along the way. Yeah, you're right. So I have worked with managers all over the world. You know, I'm Australian by birth. I lived and worked in England for a while. I lived in the States and Boston for a while. My wife's a huge Boston Bruins fan, so that was great. I'm now based here in Toronto. So I've seen a lot of busy managers in my time. And here's what I know about most of them. Most of these people are good people. They're trying to actually do the best for themselves, for their team, for their organization. But they're just thinking to themselves, look, I am stuck in a couple of vicious circles. And here are the three vicious circles I see showing up most often. Mm. First of all, an over-dependent team. Somehow you've worked things so that your team now relies too much on you. They're kind of like almost bleeding you dry. You've trained them to come to you for the answers. And the more you do that, the more overwhelmed you feel. Mm-hmm. And that's actually the second vicious circle, Byron. It's a sense of overwhelm, which is, man, I have got so much going on that I can't stay on top of anything I've got emails dating back to 1982 in my inbox. I've got an overstuffed calendar of meetings that I have to attend. It's just a sense that even though I'm working as hard as I can, I'm only falling behind. And then the third vicious circle is a sense of disconnect from kind of doing work that matters, work that you care about, work that lights you up. You feel that you've somehow become a bit of a small cog in a big machine. Mm. And for me, I'm trying to do a few things. I'm trying to help busy managers find work that has more impact, and work that has more meaning, work that they care about, and work that makes a difference. And that's my goal, and that's what the book is about. It's like, here are seven great questions that will help you get to have more impact while working less hard. Hmm. Now, I was curious about your comment of your inbox going back to 1982. I thought that was very interesting. <laughs> it, it feels like that for many of us, but yeah. but I understand that pain point, and it's a good one. Tell, tell me a little bit about the habits that managers develop and these problems that they develop and why those problems are, are exist and are habits. Just, yeah. Well, I tell you that there's one key habit that we're looking to shift just a little bit. And it's a habit, and as soon as people hear it, they'll know where it comes from because it dates back to, to their time at school, not just university, but even before that. And if there's one simple change of behavior that we're looking to create, is to give a little less advice and stay a little more curious. Now, look, Barry, in your job, you're a master of curiosity. You're a master of asking questions. But for most busy managers and leaders, they've actually been trained to go, the way I add value is to have the answer. And here's the problem with that. Most of the time, you don't have a very good answer. It's the, it's the first thing that occurs to you, but you're too busy solving the wrong problem or you're too busy rushing to give advice or you're too busy solving it for somebody else so that you're developing that over-dependent de- over team. So people have this habit of going, okay, 
here's my job to have the answer. And sometimes they don't know what the real challenge is, they don't know what's really going on, but they're sort of desperate to tell people what to do. And I'm trying to slow people down and say, look, if you stay a little curious for just a little bit longer, that's actually going to increase your impact as a manager and a leader. Hmm. Don't you think it's difficult to generalize about managers in your line of business, particularly in coaching, don't you need to diagnose a little bit more, get more symptomatic, or rather be more in tune with the symptoms before you diagnose? What are your thoughts on that from a coaching perspective? Yeah, so I think one of the things that's very easy to do is assume that the first thing that somebody's talking about is the real thing. And I don't think that's always the case. In fact, I think often when somebody comes to you and goes, hey, Byron, this is what's going on, what they're giving you is their best guess of what's going on, or they're giving the symptoms of what's going on, or sometimes they're giving you the kind of half-baked solution to an unspoken problem. Uh And we're really going to say to people, look, how do you get a better job at getting into what the real challenge is? And so the the third question in the book, there are only seven good questions in this book, seven essential questions. <laughs> and the third question is what we call the focus question. And here it is. It's like, what's the real challenge here for you? And it's a really powerful question at helping slow down the rush to advice and getting a bit more curious about what's going on. And the way it's constructed is important, Byron. It's like, not what's the challenge, because that's going to give you a kind of slightly generic answer. Mm-hmm. What's the real challenge is a more pointed question, more powerful. It's going to make people think a bit. But when you add for you on the end, so what's the real challenge here for you? The spotlight kind of swings and it stops focusing on the problem and more about the person dealing with the problem. And when you're doing that, you're into a, into a really interesting, powerful coaching conversation. Mm-hmm. You learn what the challenge is. Is your goal to overcome that challenge or and obviously this is a challenge regarding how you manage is that correct or what the challenges are for you to manage is that right well look if if, if you're a busy manager somebody comes to your office your cubicle sends you on email and they go blah 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 they're facing some sort of work thing that's going on that they need help on and when they do that you want to help them and your instinct is to tell them what to do because that's what you've been trained to do. You've built that habit up over time. Uh-huh. Well, I want you to do instead, and this is the kind of key life tip, is go, how do you stay curious here? Uh-huh. So ask them what the challenge is so they get a better idea of what the real challenges that they're facing. Because what you want as an ultimate outcome is for them to, to come up with solutions to solve the real challenge. That benefits them, that benefits the organization, and it benefits you because you've got your people doing the work to figure out the challenge and figure out the solutions rather than you needing to do it for them. By the way, there's a wonderful distinction between leadership and management. Would you agree yeah. with that? Well, tell me what your distinction is. I mean, you've got, it sounds like you've got something in mind, and there's some of these distinctions I agree with and some I don't agree with so much. So tell me how you think about it. Well, I think that you know managers, for example, just to use one phrase, are tend to be more tactical, and leaders yeah. tend to be more visionary. And often, visionaries are actually not very good at the tactical implementation of their ideas. And that distinction is very difficult for some managers to understand, in my opinion. Some managers think they are both leaders and managers and want to have command of both of those assets, where, in fact, that's a big mistake, in my opinion. 
Yeah, it's an, it's an interesting distinction. Here's what I certainly agree with. I think there are some people in this world that are better at just getting stuff done, kind of mm. more tactical. Yep. And there are some people in this world who are better at that kind of more visionary, future planning, future thinking piece. I mean, I know in my company, Box of Crayons, I play this role of the kind of visionary person. Fantastic. Mm-hmm. I'm out there. I'm dreaming. I'm also, it comes with flaws. Like at the same time, I'm kind of, I'm a bit unrealistic. I have too many ideas. I start too many things and don't finish them. I think everything's going to be faster and easier to do than it actually is. And then my operations head, you know, she's the operator. She's the get stuff done. She's brilliant as well, but sometimes she just gets too busy for the sake of doing stuff without being clear about what's the, real, the best thing for her to be working on. Mm-hmm. So I think they both have strengths to them, but they both have disadvantages. And in a perfect world, you have that kind of visionary leadership person and that management operator playing well together and navigating the tensions that arise between them. Yes, I think that those two people together can be a strong force. In fact, that's exactly what I've just done recently in my company. My, my okay. main company, Writer Access, as I've hired sort of a VP of operations. And on Monday, we're having a kickoff call. And Tuesday, we're assembling all the managers to sort of have not only our quarterly review, but to talk about what are the roles? You know, what, how can how yeah. can we have two effective, you know, people uh, helping to run the business better? What will their defined roles be? So that's why I'm really sort of into this now. <laughs> and asking yeah. asking you about it, but but let's go back to I mean, yeah. Let me just ask you about it because it, it's just here's a little bit of my resistance, which is there's something about going to somebody going, I'm sorry, you're not a leader, you're only a manager. Yeah, fair enough. Which in some ways can be demotivating, and there is another perspective to say, look, you can lead from any position within an organization. Mm-hmm. You know, you can be a frontline customer focused person but you can play a real leadership role in terms of how you show up, how you role model, how you live the values of your organization. So it just depends a little bit on how you define what each of those roles are. Uh, I guess my bias is to say, look, I think everybody can be a leader. I think everybody can be a manager, but it's useful to understand what your role is, whether you're kind of more of that visionary role perhaps or whether you're more of that operator get things done role. Yeah, it's going to be interesting to see how this plans out, but just to sketch deeper it to what I'm putting together. So just to give you some, some quick punch list, you know, to me, yeah. it's sort of like, you know, leaders have high emotional intelligence, whereas managers have high IQ, you know, EQ versus IQ, right? Um, effective leaders tend to, you know, you know, develop great teams, whereas effective managers develop great systems, Right. Um, So leaders uh, make it possible and necessary for others to direct themselves rightly, whereas managers direct others. You know, they they are they're the bears. Um, You know, leaders ask the questions, but managers know the answers. (laughs) Right. So, you know, so so I've got this whole yin and yang thing going. And yep. in the end of the day, it actually builds up this new manager coming in, giving them authority to, and, and clearly defining the roles of mine versus theirs in front of all the managers. So we, we now know who's responsible for what. That, that's the thinking behind it. And it's not to profess me as, as like, let's just take some of the, the more difficult things. You know, effective leaders tend to stress relationships with others and values and commitment, sort of the emotional and spiritual aspect of the organization, whereas the manager stresses the organization, the coordination and the control of resources, people and budgets and et cetera, right? So, you know, one is sort of more, 
you know, touchy-feely and visionary, and the other is tactical and practical and absolutely necessary. And what I have found, interestingly enough, is that people in the end of the day want to go home feeling like their boss is happy, they did a good job, um, and that they're, they're, they're doing good for the, both as an individual contribution and their department and the company, right? And a manager is a better person to recognize that and to understand that need than a leader, right? A leader doesn't necessarily get that because their 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 head is in the clouds, and and it, and it's an important distinction. Sorry, I, I rambled on there. Back to you. What are your thoughts on that? Do you think I'm headed down the right track? Well, for me, the only thing I'd be conscious about. If you give people a label, do you then limit their potential? Uh-huh. For me, what I'm about is going, look, I want everybody in organizations to be doing what I would say is more great work. And yeah. I call great work work that has more impact, uh-huh. that makes more of a difference, it's more strategic, it's more focused, and work that has more meaning. So it's more engaging, it's work that lights people up. And people have different roles. You can give people different labels around that. But whether you're frontline, whether you're mid-level manager, whether you're more senior in an organization, the quest is the same. More great work. How do you do work that has more impact? How do you do work that has more meaning? I think that's that's just spot on. How could anybody not think that that should be the driver for all? I mean, what's so great about that is it unifies people. But what about what what what's your take on on employees working for the managers that you're coaching and helping and the book is helping to walk them through this process? Tell us your thoughts about them because that's the purpose of all of this. Yeah, I mean, there are some really depressing statistics out there. I mean, Gallup uh. 15 years ago, they did a survey and they went, okay, let's just see who's engaged in their work. And they kind of went across North America and they went, okay, it's only about 30% of people who are truly engaged in their work. And there's like about 30% of people who are really not very engaged at all, kind of actively disengaged in their work. So that's a bit depressing. But they kind of went, okay, so they've been working hard now for 15 years and now 15 years later, they redo the survey. And what they find is that those numbers haven't changed at all. <laughs> it's still about 15% of people who are, uh, 30% of people who are really engaged and then a good healthy percent of people who are not engaged at all. Huh. And for me, it's like, you know what? Work can be a real source, not just of financial benefit, but a sense of, of, of purpose and a sense of meaning. And I think one of the great jobs that you can do as a manager and a leader is to help people get a little closer to that help people learn, help people stay engaged in the work that they do. And Mm. part of what I think managers and leaders' jobs can be is not to be coaches, because lots of people don't want to be a coach. There's enough of those out in the world already, I'm guessing. Uh But just to be a little more coach-like can be a more effective way of actually managing and leading those people. Mm. Fascinating. Your book takes a very Socratic approach to all of this. You literally have, which, by the way, I have been an enormous fan of, of the Socratic techniques, I call them, in my journey in my own career. Yeah. So we were talking earlier prior to this. I'll just tell the audience about how our lives have been in some sort of a twilight zone oh, right. parallel yeah. track. <laughs> and, you know, as we dig in here, it's really quite interesting. But, you know, from I wanted to tell you how I have been using Socratic techniques. It's more in, in, in how I've coached sales reps on how to sell and, frankly, to stop selling and to start asking questions of their customers. 
Right. And I and, and there's a wonderful old site I created called trainhorn.com. I actually did a bunch of sales consulting and training over the years out of this crazy concept of it's a it's some companies of course that I that I had founded but also some companies that had hired me as a consultant and then of course uh, a company that bought my first company so I became like the Socratic guy right, <laughs> um, right. and so really really interesting but but how are you applying this are to explain how you're viewing questions are they questions that you ask in a conversation for example are they yeah. questions you ask yourself about what you're doing give us the oh, insights look. with how you're using questions yeah yeah, it can go both ways. Mm-hmm. You know, questions, somebody once said, look, questions are the portal to a more interesting place to work and live. Mm. And um, again, you know, this fundamental behavior change, which is how do you help people stay curious just a little bit longer and rush to advice just a little bit slower? Mm. And your sales piece is perfect because if you know anything about sales, it, is, it comes down to this. Resist telling them about the thing you're trying to sell as long as possible. Mm-hmm. Because the longer you stay curious and the better questions you ask, the more you're able to go, well, if that's all true, let me tell you about this thing because this is the thing that's going to really help you as opposed to yeah. immediately launching into the sales process which just creates resistance from mm-hmm. people. Mm-hmm. So, you Absolutely. know, we've, just got to, we've got these seven core questions to say, look, managers, leaders, whoever you are, individual contributor, just person who interacts with other human beings. Let me give you several of the best questions. Yeah, let's take them one at a time, one at a time, because this is just too good. But you know what? Before we do, let's take a quick break. Back just in just a minute, everybody, with these killer questions that will change the way you think about managing. Back in a minute, everybody. Life Tips will be right back after this short break. Hey, this is Danny Sullivan to talk to you about Bruce Clay Incorporated. They've made Inc. Magazine's list of growing private businesses and have exhibited and sponsored at my conferences since the very beginning. You've seen their search engine relationship chart or you've read their SEO code of ethics, seen so you know other SEO experts, but did you know they can help you with PVC, web analytics, web design, marketing strategy, promotion, and branding? Yep, get everything you need for success in the online marketplace. You can check it out from the professionals at Bruce Clay Incorporated. For over 10 years with offices worldwide, they've got the answers you need. Check them out today. Whether you are an online business or domain name investor, you need access to the best names. With over 270 million domains already registered, finding the right names at the best price requires a great wingman. Namejet.com puts you in the pilot seat by giving you fast and unparalleled access to some of the best premium and expired domain names on earth. As the number one domain name auction platform, Namejet.com is the best place to find domains for your business or investment. So light the afterburners to the domain name aftermarket and fly over to Namejet.com at mock speed to get great domains today. Namejet.com. Are you paying too much for your paid advertising or have you quit altogether because it seemed like a huge waste of money? Studies show that companies waste 25% of their PPC spend on average. The web marketing experts at WMETraining.com can show you how to make your AdWords account a lean, mean converting machine. Whether you're just starting out or want to take your skills to the next level, we have a class for you. Contact the web marketing experts at WMETraining.com. And now back to Life Tips. Making your life smarter, better, faster, and wiser. 
Here are your hosts. Welcome back, Michael. So great to be chatting with you today. Yeah, perfect. And I'm really excited to get into these seven questions we promised people before the break. Yes, indeed. And by the way, I'm having so much fun, I decided to just book the entire afternoon. We're just going to go on for three or four hours, I've decided. <laughs> <That's> <laughs> I'm, fantastic. I'm joking. Joking. But tell us about the first question. You know, getting straight to the yeah. point of any conversation, tell us about the, the kickstart yeah. question, you call it. Maybe the you can kick- talk with us about exactly. that. Exactly. So part of our belief is that if you're a typical manager and leader, you don't have time to coach. And our belief is, look, if you can't do it in 10 minutes or less, you do not have time for coaching. So you've got to get to the real conversation fast. And that's what the kickstart question is all about. It's simply this, what's on your mind? What's on your mind? And here's why it's so powerful. It's an open question, and it invites the other person to make the choice about where to start. So you're giving them autonomy and you're giving them power so it's empowering and engaging for people but you're not saying to them hey tell me anything you want you're saying talk to me about stuff that matters talk to me about the thing that's exciting you or worrying you or overwhelming you let's go and talk about the thing that will make the difference to talk about so that's the power of the kick the kickstart question what's mm-hmm. on your mind it's both open but it's got a real focus to it that will really drive getting to the real conversation quickly Brilliant. I have a question for you on this one. Do you feel that as a, as a manager, you should have, you know, agenda set up and procedure that you follow and tactical approaches mm-hmm. to every meeting you're in with every manager that you're managing? So it's a manager meeting for managers. Talk to me about well, that. It, you know, it, 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 uh, I'm going to give a, a wimpish answer here, which is, it depends, because there mm-hmm. are absolutely some question, uh, meetings you have where having a clear agenda makes that meeting work much, much better. Yep. However, there's also a way that agendas can kind of get meetings to be a little stuck and a little less effective. Mm-hmm. And, you know, for instance, the classic one-on-one meeting, which as far as I can tell, most people dread. You know, it doesn't mm-hmm. matter whether you're the manager or the person reporting in. Nobody likes the one-on-one meeting. It's just slightly boring. It's just like kind of check up, tell me everything you're doing, and I'll pretend to be interested in that. Mm-hmm. And I think that you could revolutionize those meetings by instead of going through the usual agenda, start off with those conversations by going, okay, you've got a lot going on. Tell me of all the stuff that you're, you're working on at the moment, what's on your mind? And my bet is that those meetings start transforming to becoming more focused and more useful for people. Terrific. Love it. All right. Can we do the second one as well? Or which one did you yeah. want to jump to? No, I think we should do the second one because I, this is my promise with the second one. This is the best coaching question in the world. Oh, my gosh. It's a big big claim. I'm so ready. I'm so ready. My (laughs) pen is loaded with ink here. Exactly. And all around the world, people are leaning forward over a bit of paper going, okay, well, this sounds good. What is this thing? I'm about to write it down. This is the ultimate tip that I've ever got from listening to the show. Mm. And what I love about this question is it's an acronym, A-W-E. So it's literally an awesome question. And what does AWE stand for? Well, it stands for and what else. Now, here's the thing. You and Byron and everybody, they're like, okay, I was waiting for the best coaching question in the world, and that feels a bit, I don't know, mundane. (laughs) It's a bit of a letdown. But let me tell you why I think this is such a great question. The first is this. It supercharges any other question that you might have. So we've talked about uh, the kickstart question, what's on your mind? What else is on your mind? What else is on your mind? Okay, so what's really on your mind? You know, we've talked a bit about the challenge, the focus question. What's the real challenge here for you? 
And what else? What else is a real challenge here for you? And you can feel how that conversation deepens by staying curious because the first answer is never the only answer, mm-hmm. and it's rarely the best answer. But here's, right. the other secret, here's the yeah. other secret sauce, though, that makes and what else so powerful mm. is that it stops you from leaping in to start giving the answer and fixing things. So it's a cunning mm. self-management tool. Got because it. if you're asking the question, you're not providing the answer. So it helps you stay lazy. And that's kind of what we're about, trying to be a lazy coach because it actually allows the other person to get the full benefit from you asking the question. All right, so let me understand that. So the first question you're asking is what's on your mind and someone's telling you what they're on their mind, but your 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 mission is to pry more, to get more before you prescribe, right, or tell an answer to what's on their mind or give your thoughts or coaching. You suggest we go with another question right off the bat? Is that right? Did I get that right? Well, here's my hypothesis, and it's not always true, but I think it's mostly true, is that the first answer they give you is not necessarily their only answer, and Mm -hmm. it's really their best answer. Mm -hmm. So, okay, so all the stuff that's going on, good, what's on your mind? Good. Is there anything else on your mind? Anything else on your mind? Okay, so where should we start? What's really on your mind here? Okay, it's this one here. And Mm -hmm. you're just not rushing, you're just not rushing through the first doorway that opens up. You're just spending a little bit of time to look at other options and then giving them the choice to pick the one that's most useful for them. Michael, do you think it's possible to run a meeting as a manager of a manager in in a purely Socratic way where you're literally just asked question after question after question and hoping that your questions inspire the right thinking that you're aiming for with that manager? Well, it's a good question. I I would say experiment Mm. because, you know, you can't really make a generic response to that. Or you you could. You go, well, it depends. It depends on you. It depends on the team. It depends on the corporate culture. But my bet is that most meetings can be more Socratic, can be more curiosity-based. You go, okay, so what's on our mind here? Okay, so uh, what else is on our mind? Okay, so what's the thing we should focus upon? Great, so what's the real challenge here? Anything else? Okay, if that's the real challenge, what ideas do we have around this? And what else could we do? And what else could we do? All right, so what's the idea we will pick? Where will we focus? Okay, so what will we do? And who will do it? And by when? You know, you've got there a series of rapid-fire questions, but you've actually got the structure of a pretty interesting, useful, powerful conversation, either one-to-one or in a team meeting as well. So I think well, it's possible. But okay. It takes a certain degree of discipline, and you kind of would have to kind of break your team into it a little slow, because if you just started doing that, they're all going to be a bit weirded out, and <laughs> you make yeah. it Yeah. Oh, I weird people out all the time. Let me let me give you a <laughs> let me give you a, a. I've only known you for seven minutes, but I'm getting that vibe. Totally. <laughs> let me give you an example of what I'm talking about, and and, and how I put this to work. Okay, young managers in particular. You know what? What do people do when they get nervous, Michael? You would have a good answer for that. What What do people do? Well, you know, they get a little sweaty, but then they probably try and take control. You know, they kind of close in. When they get nervous, fight or flight kicks in, right? They they, they either get aggressive or they back out. Right. They talk, right? Right. They talk. They ramble on like a rose. They go like there's no tomorrow, right? (laughs) Right. And they do that because they're trying to, to, to showcase their ability to solve problems and do their thing and show their grade and do all the things that have that have make them be this manager and make more money than other people, right? People talk, yeah, talk, yeah. talk, right? 
so when I when when you deal with younger managers, they tend to want to talk a lot. They tend to like to hear themselves talk, strangely enough. Yep. And they like that there is particularly smart, bright managers that, of course, you're promoting in, in, the, in the first place, right? Yep. So an example of this is not to be critical of them, of how to manage them. It's not to be critical, like, you know, X, you know, you talk too much. You just talk for 10 to 15 minutes about a very simple problem. You know, why did right. you do that? Right. That's that's the wrong management technique. I think the right management take is technique after the long soliloquy of 10 minutes is to say, are there any other new ideas that you have about this problem? Right. Right. So then they think, and then they maybe they talk, and and, and then you might say, well, well, was that a new idea of something you didn't say ten minutes ago? And then yeah. you have them agree, no, it wasn't. But then, and then you might say, you know, okay, you know, I get it. You know, tell you what, could you strip this down, this problem down, into a, a sentence or two, so we can really get to the heart of it. Right. Yeah, I love that. That's right. a great strategy. Right. And all I do is my build on what you're saying is that as I've got older, I've just become a little less patient with the talking. Yes. So what I mean by that is not to kind of be dismissive of them, mm-hmm. but I have a very simple strategy, and it's just if I find somebody rambling, mm. and you know sometimes they're rambling because they're nervous, sometimes they're rambling because they're just they like to hear the sound of their own voice. Who knows? Yep. But I will say to them. So I'm just going to interrupt you for a minute, you know, and somehow telling them that I'm interrupting them makes it okay. So I'm just yeah. going to stop you there. I'm just going to hold you here for a minute. I'm just going to, to, to interrupt because I just want to ask you a quick question. What's the real challenge here in all of this? And, you know, sometimes people are, are delighted that you've done that for them because they weren't sure where they were going. They've got a bit lost in their own story, and you've actually helped them come back to where they might go. Interesting. That's what I would do if I was in the moment with that person. Yeah. If I was in a bigger meeting and the person had been doing that, and I was like, oh, I can't, I can't really manage this or do it in the meeting because it's going to make them lose face and that doesn't help them and it doesn't help the meeting. I might give them that feedback after the session. And yeah. if I'm giving feedback, there's a couple of things I want to be really clear on. The first mm-hmm. is, I want to give them the data, so the actual facts of what's going on. Mm-hmm. And you may, it's maybe, there's often not that much data, but you may go, look, you were asked to answer this question, and it actually took you eight minutes because I was timing you to actually get that finished. Mm-hmm. Then you go, let me show you my judgments. This is my interpretation. My sense, my guess, is that actually people got a bit lost, people got a bit bored, and actually you may have diminished your reputation a bit because you weren't able to give a faster answer. Mm-hmm. So that's really clear. You've got your kind of concerns out. Mm-hmm. Then you need to tell them what you want or what you need, which is like, I want you to practice answering a, a question in three sentences or less the next time. Mm-hmm. Or I want you, you and I to do a, a practice run before the next meeting so that you actually get a chance to kind of practice your answers to some of the questions that you might face or whatever mm-hmm. it might be. Yeah, But those are the elements for me to focus on feedback. Get really clear on what the data is. Uh-huh. That's the facts, the truth. Get clear what your interpretation of the data is. And it's very easy for you to think that your judgments are actually the truth, whereas in te- it's just the interpretation of it. Uh-huh. And then get clear on what you want or what you need. Uh-huh. Fascinating, fascinating. Really good stuff here. Now, how do you coach up managers on creativity? and being more creative and thinking out of the box 
And, and, and in so doing, I believe that you're coaching those managers to be more inspirational, to, to yeah, be more right. supportive of, of the people below them. Thoughts on that? Yeah, well, the first thing to say is, you know, as soon as you say to somebody, okay, I'm, you need to be creative now, you can just guess what happens, which is people kind of clam up. Yeah. And they're like, oh, man, <laughs> I'm not right. one of those creative people. I don't wear trendy architect glasses and <laughs> colorful socks and, you know, do zany things. And honestly, I've had the creativity part of me sort of slowly bled out of me over the years. <laughs> but for me, I, and, you know, I spent a part of my early career in the world of innovation and creativity. So I ran hundreds of brainstorms I taught actually how to be creative. Mm. And what I've become clear on is that some people in this world are just more naturally creative than others. Mm -hmm. But everybody has the capacity to be more creative. Mm -hmm. It's a muscle. It's like being curious. It's like mm -hmm. some people are better than others, but everybody with practice can get a lot better than they currently are. Mm. So for me, I'm going to say there are two questions that can be really powerful in helping drive uh, creativity. And this is, these are coaching questions again. So somebody comes to you and goes, okay, I need to have some ideas. You go, great. I've got some ideas, but let me ask you. What's, you've probably got some ideas of how to approach this. What's one idea that you've already got? Okay? So you're going, okay, what's one idea you've already got? And then you nod your head and you look interested. And then you use that best coaching question in the world. You go, great, what else could you do? Great, and what else could you do? Great, and is there anything else you could do? Uh -huh. And then you give people the option to, to add their own ideas into the mix. So for me, look, if there's one question that drives creativity, it's and what else? But often I can give you four other questions that I think are useful. Like these don't appear in the book, but I use them when I teach stuff around generating new ideas and new options. Fabulous. So, Let's do it. And here they are. So here are the tips for people listening in. The first one is, what's the easiest thing to do? Mm. And what else? And what else? And what else is easy to do? Great. What would have the most impact? And what else? And what else? So here you're helping people kind of be more courageous about it. Yeah. What do you want to do? Okay, there you're tapping into kind of people's own motivation, what they're excited about, because it's always easier to get people to do what they want to do than not. And the fourth and final question is, so what do you need to do? And that's when you help people kind of understand the obligations they might have in the, in the broader system. And so those four questions, what's the easiest thing to do? What would have the most impact? What do you want to do? What do you need to do? All of them supplemented by and what else can be a really simple but powerful toolkit to help drive more creativity. Mm. How do you distinguish between asking somebody what do you want to do versus how do you need to do? Like those are kind of very different, I think. And, and, and would you ever ask those right after the one right after the other? Yeah. So Isn't want and need maybe the same thing? That's how I view it, but I just want yeah, to understand the I distinction. They, they can be the same thing, but I think often they've got a, a slightly different focus. What, what you want to do is more me-centered. It's like, hey, what, what am I excited about doing? Okay, and you know, sometimes it's like, I want to tell my boss to go and, you know, whatever. <laughs> Probably not an idea you want to act on, but at least it's useful to hear what you want to do. It might open up other ideas. Um, what you need to do tends to be more about what is the system expecting from you? What are your obligations? And so you can see how that possibly those can be quite different things depending on the challenge, depending on the situation, depending on who you are. Interesting question for you here, Michael. Do you think another interesting question might be, you know, what's best for you 
and then another one, what's best for the company, and then what's best for the department. You know, yeah. so are those very distinct questions? Yeah, I like those. I mean, they, they they would generate good ideas, you know, and I think in some ways a slightly more specific version of what do you want and what do you need to do. And, you know, sometimes in some circumstances having that more specificity would be exactly what's right. Sometimes there's actually a benefit in keeping it a little more broad. So you get mm. people have a choice there in which, which avenue they'd like to take. Uh-huh. If you had a summary of, of the book in a particular phrase that you would like to bestow upon the world, do you think it would rely upon that curiosity element, um, or what would it be? What, what's the, what's the, yeah. the deep, single, one big idea that's the driver of your soon-to-be TED Talk? <laughs> that's right. I love that. Um, it would be this. If you can stay a little more curious and give a little less advice, you'll be able to work less hard but have more impact. Mm. That's just so beautiful. I'm just going to put that on a wall, I think, in my office. Yeah. <laughs> I think I'm, just, I'm, I'm, I'm tempted to go out and get a tattoo now, tattoo across my yeah, face. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know, you'd have to run that by your wife. She's a Bruins fan, so I... I, I, That's true. true. (laughs) By the way, just please tell your wife where I'm recording this podcast with you, where it's about 100 feet from where the Bruins play hockey, near the Boston Garden. The Garden, yeah, yeah. Exactly. So, and I have tickets, uh, by the way, so please come visit Boston and let me know, and I'd be happy to see if I can get some tickets. Uh, I have access to tickets. I don't have season tickets myself, but my good friend of mine has tickets right on the red line. It's amazing seats, 13 rows back. Best yeah, seats in the house. Before before the game, you go up to Pizzeria Regina and then literally have fantastic pizza, then wander down for the game. It's a, it's a great day out in Boston. I can tell you're happily married, Michael. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, <I am> <laughs> That's great. Great to hear. It's been an absolute joy talking with you, Michael. I, 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 I know that people listening in sense that. This has been a really great, great interview. Thank you. Uh, It's been a real pleasure. It's been wonderful to kind of be guided through the conversation by you. You did a lovely job, so thanks for having me. Indeed. Question, two final questions. Who would you like to get a hold of you, and how can they get a hold of you? Brilliant. So let me take the last one first. Um, If you want to find out more about the new book, uh, it is thecoachinghabit.com. You can find out the various ways to buy the book. There's a ton of free resources there. So even if you don't buy the book, you can just go there and there are downloads and videos and all sorts of stuff to watch. I've got a shameless request, which is that yeah. if you happen to buy the book and you like it enough and you're so moved, I would love a review on Amazon. My goal, it's an outrageous one, is to have a thousand reviews by March the 1st, which is the book's one-year birthday. Uh-huh. And the only way I can think of doing that is just shamelessly asking people. So that's, there's my shameless request. Um, and you know, the, in terms of the work we do within organizations, we have practical coaching programs so that busy managers can coach in 10 minutes or less. And the details of that are on our kind of corporate website, which is box of crayons, all one word, dot biz, B-I-Z, or B-I-Z, depending whereabouts in the world you are. Fantastic. It's been a joy once again, Michael, and thanks for being with us today. Thanks very much. Indeed. Thanks for tuning in, everybody. Life's a little smarter, better, faster, and wiser. Thanks for tuning in. We'll see you next week.
The opinions expressed are those of the hosts and their guests and do not necessarily reflect those of the staff and management of Cranberry News Marketing and Cranberry.fm. Rebroadcasts or retransmission of this content without proper consent is prohibited 